0: All right, let's take out our handout sheet that was given to us at the front door. Take out your Bibles. If you don't have one, there's one under the seat in front of you, and we will begin. We took a break last week from our series. We're right back into it. The series through the book of 1 Corinthians, entitled Practical Faithfulness. And today's message is entitled Faithful to Marriage. And I want to begin with a disclaimer, a bit of a a warning or uh, just a little heads up. We're going to be talking about divorce today and there are some of you that are absolutely wounded by the issue of divorce Your nerves are raw You are already agitated You are ready to cry when I mention the word And we're going to walk into this biblical examination of it and it's going to sound like I'm treating it as a topic as a concept And you're going to look at me and say lance you don't even know what i've gone through Uh, You don't even know how I feel inside. You're sitting there splicing and dicing and doing all these different things in the Bible. And you don't know the pain that I live. You don't know how that wrecked my world. Uh, I want to begin by telling you I do not have the ability as a communicator to share this message with everyone as perfectly as I need to. I do not have that ability because everyone is in a different place. If your nerves are hurting, if you have been wounded, I want to tell you that I will be praying for you today in this service, and I want you to know that my heart hurts for you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to attack you. I'm not here to jump on it and make it worse. Am I going to be talking about some severe things about it? Yes, I am. I'm always very straightforward with you, very honest, and trying to be very forthright with God's word. I don't back off or pull any punches. However, that does not mean I don't get it. Um, I am a product of divorce. Um, as you know, my parents divorced when I was seven years old. Uh, that was not an awesome time for any of us in our, in our whole family, my dad, my mom, any of us. It's a very difficult time. As a matter of fact, growing up, almost all my friends, their parents were divorced in my family, except for a few uh, marriages. Everybody was divorced. So actually, I've only been around divorce. That was kind of the norm in my world. So yes, I do understand Uh, It is only uh, a miracle, as I've shared with you before, that Susie and I, uh, we've been together uh, dating for 19 years, we've been married for 17 and a half years, and that is because of the grace of God. I get it. I walked into marriage assuming all marriages end in divorce, and they end in divorce very soon. So I get it, I understand it. Um, However, there are some of us in this room that treat our marriages with a cavalier attitude, We are arrogant, we are abusive, and you're not listening to me. I will come after you today because you need to hear a certain message. And God needs to be very clear and direct. Maybe, perhaps, in your mind, divorce is no big deal and that marriage is not sacred and that you feel that you can do whatever you want. I'm going to tell you that it is better to submit to God's word now than to have Him correct you later. So, as I'm sharing, everybody is in a different place in this. And so I'm going to be all over the map in how I share. So let's dive into this head on. Let me share with you some statistics that I found on 2011 divorce statistics about what happened last year. Last year, 49% of marriages ended in divorce. And statistically, first marriages end in divorce just shy of eight years. So if you have Have a marriage that is eight years or longer. You are beyond the average. Uh, The average age of a male who divorces is 40. Average age of females is 37. In the year 2000, there were 21 million divorces on record with 58 million couples separated, not living in the same house, but still divorced. That's 79 million couples that don't live together. Uh, That's a big deal. That's a huge sizable amount. In America that's just us alone now I would suggest that all of us have either been in it been through it are going into it or have somebody very close to us that has been divorced this touches all of us right this is not an out there thing this is our real lives um, uh, the statistics show that kids of divorce are far higher likely to get divorced themselves that's just merely a fact now How does this impact society with our marriages disintegrating at such a rapid pace and continually doing so uh, both inside the church and outside the church? What impact does that have on how we treat relationships? We obviously see relationships a little bit different now than we did maybe 50, 60, 70 years ago. Before, it was this idea of lifelong. Nowadays, it's a, I don't know if we're going to make it. There's a very different attitude of couples walking into marriage. As a guy who does premarital counseling, um, I know full well the nervousness of couples walking into it. Single folks, maybe folks that have been married before, for whatever reason, that that didn't work out for them. And they're trying to figure out what God desires for them. Um, I'm watching the nervousness. Right? They're looking at all the rest of us, and we're bailing out all over the place, so they don't even know, am I even going to be able to do this? And I would believe that it also has a very significant uh, impact backwards, how society's impacting us. Let me, let me speak to just one issue. I am the oldest, pretty much, of the Generation X, all right? So Generation me and then lower is the Generation X, the Millennials, Generation Y, all those folks, all right? a lot of us sitting here as well. And what we did is we grew up in the information age, but I would consider it the information overload age. And how do we know that? Well, try googling anything. Right? Google couches and you'll get 1 1.5 million hits, right? How are you going to sort through 1.5 million references to couches? Is that helpful at all? You're bombarded so much by information you don't even know how to filter it. Anymore, There's such high mobility in our society. We move around. I just got a chance to go preach at a church in Washington, bounce over to Seattle, come back within a matter of days, and I can just move around the nation. Well, because we are so heavy technology, because we are, we are so heavy postmodern in how we look at things... Uh, let me use an analogy on how it's impacting us. Uh, if you get an iPhone right now, right? What, what generation do you have of iPhone, right? So if I say, hey, I got an iPhone 4, you kind of go, <laughs> right? What, what does that mean? What do you mean? What is that? Because you got an iPhone, what, S or, oh no, you're waiting for the, the 5 to come out, right? You know full well, the minute you buy an iPhone, they're going to announce the next generation of iPhone. If I say to you, um i say hey why don't you fire me an email and you go hey what kind of computer you got and you go you know what mine's about seven years old <laughs> there goes that look again right what do you mean Hah? i got a seven-year-old computer y'all know that it's out of date all the software is blown right past it a lot of things it doesn't even hold up and whatever you have you know whatever's coming next is the one thing you should have got right and so you're always paranoid. Why should I bother getting a TV? Now we're going to go 3D. Now we're going 3D without glasses. Now we're going to go this, right? It's HD. It's, it's 1080. It's, and, and everything keeps changing. When everything is constantly changing, I'll tell you the impact that it's had on Generation X and below. We're all commitment phobic. There's no point in adhering and committing to anything because it's going to change on you. And whatever it, it, next is better than what you had. We spend our entire lives paranoid that we locked in too early. Uh, we, we are so scared to be able to say, yes, I'm all in. You think that's not going to affect our marriages? You think that's not going to affect our relationships? I mean, we're staying single so much longer, right? So much of it is, I don't know, I'm changing, you're changing. I don't know if I can even commit right now. I don't even know what's going on. I mean, there's this idea, I'm meeting so many people, and, and now my my whole view is worldwide. I'm in contact with people online that don't even live in my area. It's now, there's this huge, massive world, I can't even sift it. And I'm supposed to say, yes, I will commit the rest of my life to you. I don't even know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going to live. All that has a massive impact on our marriages and a massive impact on our commitment levels. But whatever you do know, wherever, whatever you've been through, I believe the fill in the blank is probably true for you. And it's this. Divorce is far more damaging than we assume. Divorce is far more damaging than we assume. I will merely cite one grouping to get you on the same page as me. And that is, who are the unintended casualties of divorce? Children, it's always the kids. We adults are devastated, but we have tools, we have skills to be able to navigate. Children do not. They are forced to be in positions that they do not know how to walk through. So I'm going to, as a pastor, I'm going to lay into you for a second. If you are in a divorce scenario, all right, because I have to be very strong on this point. Don't ever use your children as leverage in a divorce. Do not ever communicate through your kids to your ex. Tell her this don't ever badmouth your ex to your children because you're ultimately slaying their spirit. You keep trying to say, I want them to know what their dad's like. They'll learn what their dad is like. When you insult their father, you're insulting them. They will turn back on you and they will eat you alive. Do not ever harm children more than is necessary. They don't need to be picking and choosing and trying to sort out who do I love more. They need to be able to love their mother and father 100%. The rest of it, they will find out as they grow up. But what we must do at all times is maintain a civil relationship, especially in front of the children. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to First Corinthians chapter seven. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse ten. We're only going to go through seven verses today, a very short amount, but definitely hard hitting. Um, because as prevalent as divorce is in our day, it was even more prevalent in Paul's day. Alright? In the ancient Greco Roman world, two thousand years ago, especially in Greece, Paul is not dealing with Only Jews, he's dealing largely with Gentiles. In the Jewish world, divorce was somewhat still frowned upon, still somewhat largely male-dominated, where men made that decision more than women. But still, by that time, it was starting to open up even in the Jewish world. But in the Greek world, in the Roman world, that Paul was now ministering to, in their own literature, they would say, if there is a committed relationship, that is shocking, Because they would have multiple partners, multiple marriages, everything was bent to suit the moment. And so divorce was so incredibly rampant that all bled into the church. They were all raised with the concept that, Hey, you get married. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's not going to work. If it's not going to work, we're just going to switch out and we're going to do something else. All of a sudden they come into the Christian church and they find that Jesus Christ laid down a totally different mandate and that rocked their world. Let's read through chapter 10, uh, chapter seven, verse 10 through 16. We'll pray for it and we'll get started to the married. I give this charge. Paul said, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Clearly you do not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would walk us through this difficult and convoluted subject that maybe, Lord, you are absolutely clear and our wicked hearts can't receive it. Maybe that there is gray areas and that you have not allowed the Bible to answer all our little details we want, and we need to be all right with that and walk humbly. Whatever it is, Lord, our marriages being unhealthy and divorce has wrecked our world. And we need to know a way to walk out of that, to do it different because of you. Holy Spirit, empower us. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The last thing I'll say before we walk into this is that, please remember that in 2,000 years ago, first marriages were still largely arranged on all different areas of life. What that means is it's a little different than us. We have a hard time keeping our marriages together when we selected our mates. They did not select theirs. They were selected by their parents. They were automatically paired up with somebody they may not have never met before. And they had no interest in so they had an added burden that we don't even have just keep that in mind All right, let's let's dive into this Paul begins in verse 10 by saying this to the married I give this charge. I give this command. I give this teaching. I give this rule, whatever you want to say and then he says not I but the Lord Now, we could look at that and we would go, so everything else you've said, what is your opinion? Now you're sharing something from God? Why don't you always share something from God? That's not what it means. What it means is Jesus has already taught on this subject specifically, and he's merely going to quote Christ. He can point back in a gospel account... To saying Jesus Christ's words have already been locked down on how he feels about divorce. We already have that mandate. He doesn't even have to go into pastor mode and say, I think Jesus meant this. He goes, Jesus said this. That's all I'm telling you. The wife should not separate from, that word means divorce. The wife should not divorce her husband. Now you're going to find out, illegitimately... Right? And we're going to find out what's legitimate divorce. Is there a reason for divorce? Is there not? We have a lot of reasons that we have put on the table. We put on things like abandonment and abuse and neglect and uh, misconnection and bad sex life. And we got a million different things that we'll get divorced for, right? Personality clashes, um, adultery, different things like that. We have this whole list. Are all those legitimate in the eyes of God for a divorce? Well, you're going to find out, no, the answer is no. So what are legitimate reasons for divorce? So, but if she does, for legitimate reasons, illegitimate reasons, you're going to find out there's a difference. She should remain unmarried. Now that means for the rest of her life or else be reconciled to her husband. What's intriguing is it doesn't answer at all. What if he went out and got married again? Right? You can't marry that guy if he's already married to somebody else. The Bible does not tell us all the questions or tell us all the answers that we want to know. The Bible seems to move on and say, we'll get to that or we're assuming that or whatever. Well, that's frustrating for us because we want to know all the details. What about this situation? What about this? You're going to find out that the situation of divorce and the divorce and remarriage, is very messy. Depends on what passages you're reading. You got to consult the whole counsel of God on this. She should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Okay, the first thing right off the bat that's weird about this is he's dressing men and women. Um, Paul is a Jew through and through. And because in his culture it was still largely male-dominated, almost always he would address men. But he's dealing with Greece. Greece. He's dealing with Gentiles. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. They do things differently. As a matter of fact, what you will find is that in the church of Corinth, women had a very difficult time finding out where their place was because they came from various backgrounds, walked into the church, saw freedom, and a bunch of them just oblique and began to go ballistic on different things. One of them was the idea of, wait a second, I can get a divorce. I can get rid of this loser and move on. And all of a sudden, Paul has to start putting on brakes because they're beginning to see things that aren't really there. So first of all, he's talking to wives and husbands. The same rule applies to both. This which applies to men applies to women. That which applies to women applies to men. Pick it up in verse 12 to the rest. What do you mean to the rest to the other category of issues? What about mixed marriages? What about the idea of one is a believer, one is not a believer. What do you do there? Because they started going crazy on what do we do with those marriages? Is this polluting me? Do I need to do this? How does this happen? Is God mad at me? Watch what Paul says. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. Jesus never taught on this, so I'm going into pastor mode, he said. That if any brother, a Christian, if any brother, you're going to find out sister as well. Recent convert right this church is only five years old. These are adults. That means they got saved later in life Most of them were already married. What happens when you go out to a What Apostle Paul tent revival? You go get saved you come rolling back home and your spouse is used to the partying open marriage we all get wasted together what about that you come home and say things need to change how are they going to handle that how are they suddenly going to deal with this christian influence right in their face are they going to freak out on you are they going to get mad at you what's going to happen so all these christians all of a sudden started having these mixed marriages and they didn't know what to do with them so paul said if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and the unbeliever consents is willing to live with him and not be divorced, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Here's what was happening. A bunch of them were getting saved and they were saying, I gotta get away from this. God doesn't want me. He just said, it's from darkness to light. Now all of a sudden, I gotta get out of this marriage. I got a pagan everywhere I go, right? I'm laying in bed, roll over, pagan, right there, looking at me. Right, And I'm sitting there trying to do my devotional. He's lighting up weed in the other room, and I can't even focus... And so he's polluting me. There's contamination. Now God's going to be mad at me and he's going to be all over my case. And he's going, to, you're not a real Christian. you got a pagan spouse. And, and isn't that going to make God mad at me? And Paul said, what? No, 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 no. Stop. That's not at all how it works. No, you just don't start divorcing all your spouses. If they want to live with you, that says something about them. Well, what do you mean? What What's it say about them? It means to say they're willing to go to church. Wait, no, it does not say that. Sure, it does. If you are a Christian, you're fired up for the Lord, you are inhabited by who? The Holy Spirit. They're in church at home. They are in the presence of Jesus Christ every day through you. If they are willing to live with you, if they're willing to have their most intimate space invaded by the Holy Spirit, that says there is a willingness. To engage with God on some level, you do not automatically reject them and remove them out of there because currently they're listening. They're listening to you. As far as this whole contamination thing, let's address that. Verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. What does that mean? It means contamination rolls the other way, not backwards. You are infecting your household with Jesus Christ. The enemy is not able to push backwards. That's not how it works. Not in this scenario. Now, there is no allowance in the Bible for a Christian selecting to marry a non-believer. That actually is not allowed. It is only a christian is to marry a christian But if you become a christian and your partner is not a believer, they do not automatically pollute you You begin to contaminate them with the power of the holy spirit To be made holy does not mean everyone is saved. That's not the phrase To be made holy means to be set apart for god's specific focus and purposes So when you get saved, you walk back into your marriage. Now, all of a sudden God is present in their world and he is now working on their hearts just because you're there in the same way. If any parent is a believer, the children are automatically set aside for God's channel of grace to flow in and begin to speak to the children through the believer. That's all it's saying. It's saying, listen, we now have an opportunity of evangelism happening in the home, and we need to be aware of that. Picks up in verse 15. But let's say the spouse, the pagan spouse, doesn't want anything to do with you. They cannot handle you. They want to get out as fast as they can. They want to divorce you. If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. Such in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved for God has called you to peace. Here's the scenario there on the flip side. You would have the unbelieving spouse say, I don't know what's wrong with you. You were in some freaky, what Jesus freak phase. I don't want anything to do with that. I didn't sign up for this. You have no right to bring that into my home. I'm out of here. If they begin to bail out, some of the Christians began to get paranoid that Jesus would be mad at them for being divorced. So they would then try to go back, cling on to that person and say, my God will be mad at you if you leave me. You can't leave me. Paul said, stop, get your hands off them. What are you talking about? I'm not mad at you. God is not mad at you. Listen, if they want to walk, they get a chance to walk. If they divorce you, they divorce you. That's how it rolls. You don't grab onto them and force them to stay because somehow God's going to be angry at you. That is not Correct. Let them go. We have been called to peace. Watch your testimony. Watch your lifestyle. We don't do that. We're not trying to force something on them. If a non-believer leaves, let him go. Now, he said, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? You have no idea. What if God utilizes you as a channel of his grace to actually save your household? What if your very presence is what Jesus utilizes to draw them to himself? You don't know that. So as far as you looking only out for yourself, you've got to look bigger than that. Back up for a second. Because God is using you in that environment. All right. So that is it on the surface, right? You think I'm done? No way. Right? What does the Bible say? If we just look at that, it basically says nobody gets divorced. Period. That's it. And you look and you go, well, is that what Jesus said? Well, let's kind of walk through the Bible a little bit together. What does the Bible say about divorce? Would you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24? Let's go old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If you hit Joshua, you went too far. Fifth book in the Bible is Deuteronomy. So we're going to take a little walk through. Divorce is mentioned 31 times in scripture. As I went through and assessed it, it basically breaks it out into making 12 significant points about divorce. Some of them are interesting to you. Some of them are boring. I get it. We're not going to talk about all 12. We're only going to hit a couple of them, but we're going to hit some of the more uh, popular ones. Uh, The issue, however, gets a little bit muddy. Now, the first mention ever in scripture that I'm not having you turn to is in Leviticus. And it is a reference to priests. How priests are supposed to act. Now, everybody realize that Leviticus is a weird book? I mean, if you've ever read it, you know automatically something's not right about that book. That is a weird book. It has all kinds of weird rules, especially for the priests and the Levites, because God was utilizing them to draw a spiritual picture about deeper things, not just about surface things. For example, the Jewish people were not allowed to wear mixed fiber clothing. You go, who cares? Who cares? So what? I got a poly blend on. It's not a big deal, right? I mean, come on. That's really going to affect my eternity. No, it's not. What was the point? The point was talking about mixing with other nations. It's a word picture to explain something else that has nothing to do with your clothing. All right. So when you read the Levitical laws, you begin to understand it's not quite what you think it's about. But anyway, it's rather intriguing that the first mention of divorce is in Leviticus and it refers to who priests can marry. It says, priests cannot marry divorced women. Priests cannot marry widows. Priests cannot marry prostitutes. Now, it's funny that prostitutes, widows, and divorced women are all in the same group. What in the world do they have in common, right? And you look at that and you go, how many priests were marrying prostitutes? And the premarital counselor, they're like, where'd you guys meet? And she's like, work, Right. <laughs> The whole thing's awkward, right? I mean, right off the bat, is is that happening a lot? I don't, I don't think so, but all right. Apparently it's former prostitutes, I would suggest. Now in there, what do those three groups of women have in common? Nothing but this. They've had sex before. That's it. The whole point was, is that the priest was only allowed to marry a virgin from Israel why once again it was a word picture it had nothing to do with the condemnation of those women it had everything to do with a word picture just like the clothing issue now they added a caveat in ezekiel boy this sure got the priests excited right they were allowed to marry one other category widows of former priests i bet that was a huge pool right that was like yeah no what i don't was there like three and you know anyway all right let's read deuteronomy 24 Deuteronomy 24, one, probably the most famous passage in the old Testament about divorce. It is this when a man takes a wife and marries her. If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. And she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she's been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. What? (laughs) How often is that happening? First of all, this lady is just having a bad role, right? I mean, it's, it's like bad dude after bad dude after bad, right? Okay. So the immediate context of this says, if a man divorces his wife, now remember the women did not have freedom to divorce. So only the men were addressed to divorce a woman in ancient Israel was tantamount to throwing her to the wolves because women did not have the ability that men did to make their own way in society. They, it was a very male dominated world. So A lot of women, you would either have to immediately remarry to be supported at all because there was no provision for divorced women, only for widows. Uh, Additionally, it forced women into very difficult places to try to make a living, and a lot of them would end up into prostitution because that was the only thing that was available to them. So the very idea of men divorcing women in the ancient world was brutal. You're going to find out that's why all these rules are on the books. Almost every divorce law in the Old Testament is for the protection of women. It's the only reason why the laws are there. It's not for the guy, it's for the women. Because in that male dominated culture, the men could take advantage of that. They could say, hey, I can just get rid of this girl and get rid of this girl, I'm just gonna go marry another one. God steps into defender role and says, I don't think so. You are not gonna treat my daughters like that, I will step in your way, right? And you're gonna find out that happens quite a bit. Now, a couple of other things that are intriguing about this is it says, uh, you can't get the first one back now. Was that happening a lot? Well, maybe it's, it's kind of like, I don't want to call it buyer's remorse, but let's say <laughs> that there is, there's a, there's the first husband that gets rid of her, gets another one and goes, "Ew, I like this one less and tries to get the first one back. All right. The women are protected that, Horrible first guy, cannot get them back. That's actually rejected. You're not allowed to. What's wild is that we herald these things as miracles. Oh my gosh, you know what? This one couple, they originally got divorced and they went and married other people, but then God brought them back together again. Isn't it amazing? God calls that an abomination in Israel. It's wild how we've completely spun things. Because he's saying, no, 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 you're fusing other relationships together. You don't get to come back together. That's the context of this. But there's a couple other pieces that really matter here. First of all, it says, if the man has found what? He can write her a certificate of divorce? Some indecency. Did you see that phrase? What's indecency? What do you mean? No one knows. For thousands of years, the Jews have debated this. As a matter of fact, it is because of this passage... That they tried to pull Jesus into a hardcore debate and get him in trouble. There was uh, one rabbi that said Indec- indecency means adultery. That's it. He was the conservative guy. That was Hillel. On the other side was Shammai. The rabbi Shammai said it's for anything that the guy doesn't like. And it says literally if, if she messes up his meal, right, then he can divorce her. So for any reason only one reason those were the two polar opposites the jews would all try to take sides and they would argue it over and that's why they brought jesus into their debate what is indecency now a lot of us would go it's adultery right i mean that's obvious hold on you sure it's obvious i don't think so why what's the penalty for adultery death you don't need a divorce you're dead right and you go, well, that that wasn't always the case. I mean, that didn't happen. I mean, when we get to Jesus' day, like thousands of years later, I mean, they were a lot more progressive than that. Really? What happened to the woman caught in adultery that was thrown before him? What did they want to do? Stoner. You know that. So first of all, I'm not quite sure that indecency is adultery. They had a provision for adultery. They had a provision for fornication. Let's say that you're saying, well, he gets married to her and finds out she wasn't a virgin and has proof of that. What's the penalty of that? Death. Again, it's not a divorce issue. It's a death issue. So I'm not quite sure what this is. And everybody was arguing about it. What were the legal grounds for getting divorced? All right, let's say The last piece, and this is a big deal to me. You will see that every time that divorce is mentioned, it talks about writing her a certificate of divorce. You go, what does that mean? It means there was paperwork that was involved that when he handed her a certificate of divorce, she was allowed to remarry. It was her protection papers. It was her getting an absolute freedom to go have another spouse that will protect her in society. Right? So all the laws were to demand Remarriage being allowed. Okay, you're going to find that most scholars in examination of Scripture believe that the Bible teaches if the divorce is legit, remarriage is assumed. It is always assumed that the remarriage is legitimate as well. If the divorce is not legitimate, the remarriage is not legitimate. But understand if it's a legitimate reason for divorce, whatever that is, remarriage is automatically assumed. By Old Testament and New Testament. But here's the problem that we have in our society and in our church. And I need you to memorize two words for me, right? Paper matters. Why? Because here's our problem. We file for divorce and we think we're single. Guess what? No, you're not. Until that divorce is final, you are not divorced. We have a whole bunch of folks that immediately file for divorce. Their marriage has been on the rocks for five years. They haven't had any connection with their spouse for two years. And in their mind, it's dead. Guess what? You don't have the paperwork. Well, that doesn't matter. It's all in my heart. No, it's not. Paperwork matters until our state, whatever state you're in, gives you an authorization that says you are now divorced in the eyes of California. You are not free to date anybody. You are not free to go out and do whatever you want. You are still married. I don't care what kind of psycho that guy is. You are not free. We have to be very careful of cleaning up one mess before we go and start another mess. So we need to realize paper matters. Same thing goes for marriage. Man, we're married in our hearts. That's why we're living together and having sex. Guess what? Not legitimate. Paper matters until the law says that you're married. You're not married in the eyes of God. Let's be very careful on this stuff because you will get married and divorce and everything in your heart. I don't care what your heart says. I'm telling you that there is a process by which God authorizes to say this is legitimate. This is not. Yeah, we got it. All right, let's move on. Um, turn with me to Matthew 19 three. Matthew 19.3. I'm going to cite a few things as you're turning there. Uh, In Malachi 2, the last book of the Old Testament, uh, it's a famous phrase where in the NIV it says, God hates divorce. Do you remember that? Try checking that one out in the ESV. It doesn't say that at all. Uh, That whole line is removed. And you go, what? I thought that was like a famous one. You can't mess with the famous ones. Uh, What the ESV says is that a better translation is when a man divorces his wife, he hates her and divorces her. That's the actual reading of it. The reason why is it says he covers his garment with violence. Because remember, to divorce a woman in that society was to hand her over to be harmed. That's why it's saying that to divorce a woman was to hate a woman in that society. Now in there, we realize a couple things. In Malachi God said this, I locked your marriage down, so it's not your marriage anymore. It's our marriage. So if you think you can break it with each other, even if you agree on it, guess what? You don't have that right. That's my right. I own that, not you. Now, last thing before we read this passage. Jesus has some teachings that are recorded in Luke and recorded in Matthew about divorce. Let me read you the one in Luke. This is all it says. Jesus said, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. He who marries a woman that's divorced commits adultery, period. That's all Luke says. Now, do we all understand the value of reading the whole counsel of God? If you read one passage, assume that's the entire teaching, what did you just hear? All divorce at all times is adultery. If you read Jesus' same teaching in Matthew, he says... Everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality commits adultery. He adds a whole allowance. Where did that come from? I don't know. You better read the entire scripture. Otherwise, we're going to be misled on what's going on. At some point, marital unfaithfulness, pornea, whatever that means, it means any of the sexual immorality that's mentioned in Scripture outside the covenant of God, the five that are mentioned in Scripture, incest, bestiality, fornication, adultery, stuff like that. If any of those, that is an allowance on here. All right, now, now, remember I told you that when... All the, all the rabbis would argue about what was an allowance to get divorced. They brought Jesus into that argument right here. Matthew 19:3. And the Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Meaning they went the Shammai route. Is Shammai right that we can divorce our wives for any reason? Jesus answered, what have you not read? Meaning what you don't know the Bible? Well, that's interesting. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two. They're one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. He said, I don't care what your society has told you. I don't care what rabbis have argued. Let's go creation intent, right? Jesus went before all that argument, went before Moses said, what was the original plan? Our father, what designed us? We're fused together. We're now one. That's it. You can't mess with that. Well, they didn't like that answer. So they picked it up in verse seven. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Why did Moses force us to get divorced? Well, that's dumb, right? And Jesus knows that. Verse eight, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, It was not so. Say, no, 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 I get it. Because we're all messed up. We're wicked of heart. We're hurt. We're bitter. We can't forgive. We can't move on. We're hurting each other, right? I get it. For that reason, there was an allowance. But that was not the original intention. Then he moves on and makes it worse. (laughs) He said, and I say to you, verse 9, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, whatever that means, and you're going to have a bunch of opinions. There's a book called the divorce myth that says that the only reason for legitimate divorce is to break up an incestuous marriage. And that's out of a very highly respected man who writes commentaries. You slide on the other side, you're going to get a totally different view, right? Whatever that means, the disciples heard it and went, holy cow, this is limited. So this is their response. If that's the case, with a man with his wife it's better not to marry what if i'm locked in no way i'm out of here i'm not getting married if i'm all in like 100 percent lifelong and i can't get out there's no way other than one tiny area i don't even want to get married and you think that jesus would go come on guys you're being extreme nope he makes it worse He said, you know what? That's a great point. You shouldn't get married. All right. Not everyone can go single. Only those to whom it's been given. There are eunuchs who have been made so from birth. There's eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. There are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Hey, let one who is able to receive this, receive it. You want to be single? All right, go for it. Let's see how that works out for you. Wow. Once again, what did we see? God has this fusion concept that is no longer two. It is one. And what God has joined together, you don't get to tear apart because it's not yours anymore. Do you understand all those that are single, how serious and significant this process needs to be? Because this is not a haphazard. We're just going to see how it goes. Let's just roll into it. Do you understand? That's why in this church, none of our pastors will do a wedding unless the couple has had significant premarital counseling. We don't want anyone walking in unaware we don't want anyone getting caught off guard. I want you to know exactly. Now, everyone that's married is like, great, I didn't have that. Awesome. Now I'm stuck, man. All right. Let me, let me share this as we wrap it up. Here's something that we cannot do. I have had people in my life that have grown up in church culture, and they know that God hates divorce. And so they say a phrase like this our marriage may be garbage, but at least we didn't get divorced like those people. Okay. Hold up. Your terrible marriage is just as much of an abomination as their divorce. Do not play that game with me. Do not say at least we didn't get divorced. Really? That's your argument that somehow God is pleased just because you're abusive to your wife But you haven't got divorced largely because you're so dominant on her. She's scared out of her mind to walk away from you. That's somehow honorable. Do you realize that in the book of Malachi, Jesus shut down all the men of Israel and said, I will not receive anything from your hand. I will not receive any of your offerings. And they said, why? He said, because you're treating your wives like garbage. Because you're divorcing your wife, because you think you can do whatever you want, and then it's fine in your relationships. You know what? Don't you dare, he said, try to be at home, be a psycho to your wife and your children. Ladies, this applies to you on how you treat your husband and how you treat your kids. Don't you think you can treat everyone one way at home, then come into church and play a game? Like somehow you're going to come up and be all ready to worship and everything's fine here just because you can, what? Pull the wool over our eyes just because we don't know how you act at home. You think God doesn't see you? Of course God sees you. He sees every bit of that. And he is not all right. Allowing your marriage to be in shambles. Allowing your marriage to be abusive. Allowing that pain in your household is not honoring to God. And if you say, at least we didn't get divorced, that is no help whatsoever. We must submit our relationships to God and say, God, please help us. We're broken people. Listen, for some of us that are very soft-hearted, what you heard in the message today is that you're feeling condemnation. You know what? I didn't get divorced for the right reasons. I'm remarried. Now I feel totally guilty. I feel like God hates me. And you know what? Now I'm an adulterer and an adulteress, and, and God must be blocking it. Stop. Here's what's intriguing. Earlier, we read a passage where it says these types of people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And on that list was adulterers. And then he said that is what some of you were. But you have been purified you have been sanctified and you have been justified in the eyes of God Every sin we do has always been blackness on our soul This is no different But haven't we always had to rely on the cross? Hasn't every bit of our lives had to be submitted under the cross of Jesus Christ? Haven't we always been sinners? Why is that new information to us? Well, haven't we always needed to be justified and forgiven and cleansed? Of course we have. And for the one in Jesus Christ, the Bible says there is therefore no condemnation. But just because you have an allowance doesn't mean you continue to make bad decisions. Right? So in our wisdom, we try to make better decisions. We try not to repeat the same patterns. We try to submit it to the Lord, brush off our knees, get up and do it right. But is God always angry with us because we're wicked and broken? He is not for his children. He smiles upon his children because Jesus Christ has cleansed you. Jesus Christ has made you holy in his sight. Though our sins be as scarlet, he would make them what? White as snow. You know this. So I understand that there is so much that is wrecking down on you and so much pain. But I need you to know that as a child of God... He has forgiveness, healing, and a way to move forward for every single one of us. Amen? Let's close in prayer, and I'll give you the final challenge. Heavenly Father, Lord, we walked through some pretty tough stuff. And Lord, there's so much more to it that we didn't have time to get into. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us clarify in our hearts where you want us right now. That, Lord, that you would allow us to see you clearly. And that you would allow us to know you rightly. Father, may you rescue our marriages. Would you breathe into our homes your Holy Spirit? Would you allow us to have patience for one another? Would you clear up our communication? Would you allow us to begin to love where there is no love? That you would break up solid, hard, rocky ground and make it flourish, Lord, with produce. Would you allow our marriages to be healed in the deepest place? Would you allow us to understand what forgiveness is and what moving on is? Would you allow us to say the words, I'm sorry? Lord, would you begin to heal us from the deepest parts and allow every marriage in this church to begin to rise up and be healthy? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Closing challenge is this. If you are married, I want you to plan a day getaway for connecting and discussing the honest state of your marriage. That is a brutal assessment, babe, where are we at kind of conversation. If you are single make a, and you feel that you want to get married someday, make a list of qualities you desire in a mate, ask that God would guide you into healthy choices in relationships. Now, the final thing is this. I'm not interested in heaping responsibility on you without giving you tools. You saw in the video that on September 28th and 29th, we are bringing in a world-class speaker named Paul Tripp to come in and lead a marriage conference here. If you are married, you probably need to be here to learn those tools, to have help, it shouldn't just be on you. You shouldn't just try to have to try harder. You should be able to try smarter. Second is this, and I want you to write this down. There are some of you that when I say, I want you to have a date night, you go, Lance, that's nice for you. You have your in-laws, you have your mom in town. She can watch your kids. We don't have anybody. We moved here. We don't have any friends that are able to do that. We don't have any family in town. We are ready for you on September 7th. I want you to write this down on September 7th. From 6 to 9 p.m., we're watching your kids. You bring them here. We want you to have a date night. We want you to get out. We want you to go have fun. We want you to laugh together. We want you to relax together. And we want you to bring your kids to us. We'll watch them. We'll be your family for right here, right now. If you have a hardship, please make sure to register on the city. Schedule a date night, and you guys go have fun. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next week.